Hi guys, so today I'm trying something different, what we'll call a freshly squeezed episode. Not everyone has time to listen to the longer versions, so if you're one of those mothers that just want a short but sweet episode, then this one will be for you. So today is episode 10. I will be sharing a clip from next week's episode, which is an episode talking with Dr. Beverly Jean Daniel on how we can speak to our kids about racism. Who is Dr. Beverly Jean Daniel? She has a PhD in sociology and equity studies in education, a graduate certificate in women and gender studies. She has a master's in counseling psychology. She's an assistant professor at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada at the Faculty of Community Service Child and Youth Care Program. She's very involved in supporting Black youth in the education system and Black females in developing positive racial identity, as well as supporting children in understanding narratives of race and racism. And if you do enjoy it, next week we'll have the full episode for you to listen to. As a society, so if you look at Stats Canada data, we're not seeing reduction in racism. We're seeing increases in racism. When you start looking at the growth of these alt-right movements and these quote-unquote neo-Nazi movements, well, who's joining them? It's not the, the 50-year-old or the 60-year-old um, white male or female. It's the 17, 18, 19-year-old who would have grown up in a diverse society, who would have been exposed to diversity. But what is happening is we're not actually engaging in those critical conversations. There's the idea that if there's a person of color in the room, we have arrived. Uh. But I remind people that we haven't changed the way in which we talk about difference. We haven't changed the way in which we talk about other groups, which means that our kids are exposed to the exact same conceptions of blackness, the exact same con conceptions of First Nations identities that they were exposed to 50 years ago. Nothing has changed in terms of that. So if you think of the research that comes out of the U.S. and comes out of Canada as well, what it shows is that as soon as kids who are racialized come into contact with any public school system, so we're talking early childhood education environments, they start experiencing racism in comments such as, you can't be the princess because princesses don't look like you. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or people saying, well, no, you can't play with me because my mom says that you're black or you're brown and I can't play with you. Mm -hmm. Or people saying things like your skin is dirty. So then imagine a child being told that their skin is dirty. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to try and wash it off. Right. Mm -hmm. A child who is racialized or, you know, has a dark complexion, you can't rub your skin off. So we're exposing children to trauma quite early in the hmm. race-based trauma and we're not intervening who's not intervening is that the school system the teachers or all the parents of the all, of all? The really all of the above wow right and i think this is where when we talk about privilege if you don't live it you have the privilege not to deal with it you have mm -hmm. the privilege not to even think about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for those of us who have black kids and brown kids, we must think about it because we have to prepare our children for survival in it. 
Of course, there are challenges, and we have to talk about that. But foundationally, we need to look at the strengths and the capacities that are inherent in all humans, right? So when we talk about race, that becomes a perfect entry point. You know, um, how is Bob different from you? How is Susan different from you? What are the things they do that you think is funny, that you like? What are the nice things about them? So what you're doing is you're essentially saying to your children, look, at the end of the day, there is nothing different between you and your friend except the color of your skin. However, we live in a world where people get treated differently because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, because of where they live. Mm -hmm. And I need you to know that so that when you engage with people who are different from you in some ways, that you do not disrespect them, that you do not dehumanize them, but that you remember that they are just as human as you are. If a child racial tendencies to comment towards other kids and people, Mm -hmm. is it likely they're they're getting those ideas and thoughts from their parents, from their home? You know, I think that's sort of the um, that's the easy way to look at it. Mm -hmm. But what are the comments that they're hearing when they're at school? Because, as I said, when we did the research in the daycare settings, kids are telling other kids, I can't play with you because you're brown. Um, I can't play with you because you smell. So they may be hearing some of it from their parents, yes, but they're also seeing it in the childcare settings. They're seeing it in their classrooms. They're seeing it on the television. They're seeing it in books. Mm-hmm. So I think the easy piece is to blame the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just blame the parents. Because then what it means is if we can, quote unquote, fix the parents, we've solved the problem. But the parents are immersed in a society that is racist. So the parents are exposed to it. I think to say it's just about the parents only gives us a slice of the complexity of it. It's the parents plus, 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 plus. Okay. So let's just recap for parents listening today, mothers, caretakers, teachers, what are a few steps they should start doing or continue doing that will help raise kids that are conscious, not racist, or what's the the best way to go about it? Um, So the way I think about it is how do we raise children who are committed to social justice, right? Irrespective of the site, whether it's gender, race, sexual orientation, religion, how do we raise children who are fully committed to socially just engagements, right? And I think if we only want to talk about it in the context of race, sometimes people go, well, why do we keep bringing up that race thing? Right. So I I think it is important for us to sort of look at it in in multiple contexts. So I would say that you must start with yourself as a parent. Mm -hmm. You need to figure out your own stuff. So, for example, what are your thoughts on different communities? How do you engage or not engage with different communities? Because whatever you do, your children will model. The other thing you need to think about is what am I exposing my children to? in terms of books, in terms of images, in terms of of shows, all of those pieces. Now, one of the things that can be an amazing learning opportunity is to take a bad show and and deconstruct it with your children. So sometimes the worst Mm. movies can be a really amazing conversation starter, Mm. right? What did you see in that movie, right? What messages did they tell you about the Chinese people in that movie? Did you see Chinese people in the movie, by the way, right? So what do you think about that? Do you think that's okay? Do you, is, a, is there a problem with that? So I, I, there are many things that, that happen around us can use as teachable moments, as opposed to brushing it aside and saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to touch this because I don't know what to do with it. And even if you don't understand 
race and racism and, and all of its complexities, you can still have a conversation about right and wrong because foundationally kids get that, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I always say to my children is that there's a foundational question that must always guide your interactions with other people. How would I feel if, and then fill in the blank. Ah, that's good. That's right? good. Yeah. So how would I feel if someone treated me badly because of the color of my hair? How would I feel if someone treated me badly because of the way my body was shaped? How would I feel if, right? And then you can add race onto that. So that is also important. I think it is important for people to to venture into different parts of, of the city mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of staying in our little bubbles, mm-hmm. right? Because what often happens is that People cross boundaries in public spaces because they don't have a choice. But at Mm. the end of the day, most people go back to their relatively monocultural houses, neighborhoods, community centers. So there is no intentionality in terms of crossing lines of difference. Mm -hmm. Even when people will say things to you, well, my husband is is black or my my partner is black or whatever the case may be, what that still typically translates into is that their partner has moved into a predominantly white world and there is still very little cross-pollination in terms of ideas. We have to be intentional in terms of who we engage with, how we engage with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, teach our kids that it's okay to question. Uh, yeah. And it's also okay for us as parents to not know. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that often shuts parents down in terms of having these conversations because the parents themselves are so uncomfortable. But I think in the same way that we go on the internet to find everything, (laughs) (laughs) we can also go on the internet and say, you know, is there a show I can find? Is there a cartoon I can find to help my kids understand these issues to my kids about these issues? So parents have to be willing just to do a little bit of extra work. Okay, got it. You can find free resources on that. I sent you a link and literally yes. type in talking to children about race, a million things. And sometimes it's like I said, it's, it's not just about the talking. It's also about the modeling, right? Yes. How many, how many parents are going to go into a library and take out a book, a picture book um, for their kids that has black characters in it. Yeah. Right. And I often say to folks, think about the little everydayness of this. When was the last time you went into a store and saw a postcard with a black baby on it or a Chinese baby? That's the everydayness of mm-hmm. the erasure of race. You go into a store, the majority of the dolls are going to be white. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this conversation with a store manager one day, the exact same doll. The white doll was $20 and the black doll was 60 Whoa. And I was like, are you kidding me, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> and what was the reason? <laughs> well, they have a different skew number. They have a different skew number. Okay. All right. Christmas time, you're looking for an angel to put at the top of your tree. Where are you going to find a black angel? Yeah, I've never seen one. Mm. So so when we talk about white privilege, those are examples of it, that you can go into a store, you know, whether it's a bookstore, whether it's Christmas, you see yourself positively represented in so many different ways. Hmm. Whereas for, for me and my children, we have to put an extra effort to find a black angel, to find black books, to find anything that represents us in positive ways. Uh, I think we minimize the capacity of children to make sense of information. You know, as you know, you've got two kids. If you cut an apple 
and you put it on a plate and you give one kid a bigger slice than the other kid, they will notice. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And there's a starting point with regards to fairness, right? There's a conversation with regards to should your son get a bigger piece of the apple than your daughter? Mm -hmm. And if not, why not? Mm -hmm. Right? So then does that mean that because someone looks different, they should get a smaller piece or a bigger piece of the apple? And every child will tell you absolutely not. That's not fair, right? So if we start teaching children quite young, not just about social justice and fairness, but also teach them about the meanings that they attach to words and to descriptors, that's a really amazing entry. Yeah, that's good. I'll end with one question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast to link it back to the title. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. Keeping motherhood inspired, what one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Um, you know, it's it's interesting that you ask that question. And um, one of the things I say to people is I try to figure out what is it that I did in my previous lifetime? Universe to decide to give me these four absolutely amazing human beings to take care of. So to me, my children are a gift that was given to me Mm. for me to take care of. Um, Are there moments where I'm thinking of how can I pull my hair out? How can I run away so they can never find me again? (laughs) 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 If we get to choose to bring children into the world, why mm-hmm. can't we then choose to just not be around them? Mm-hmm. Um, but what keeps me going is um, when I see these absolutely beautiful human beings just blooming in front of my eyes. Just as I'm sitting talking to you here, my son's texting me. Right, <laughs> But I think foundationally for me, it's about wanting my kids to understand that they are loved. Mm. So I've said to folks that I firmly believe that if children know that they are loved, there is so much that they're able to, to manage. So no matter how bad the day gets, no matter how challenging things get, I need my children to always know that they are loved by their mother and they will always have a safe space to come to. And I think for a lot of kids today, they don't have that haven. They don't have that safe space where when the world hits them, that they can come home and feel safe. I'd um, to say to my kids, I don't care what happens out there. Your home must be your safe haven. I don't care how, how long you've been out. That door is always open. So because I have a 29-year-old, right? And it's not uncommon for him to come by and visit. And, you know, we're sitting on, on the couch just chatting. And he's got his head on my lap, right? Um, my 21-year-old, um, I get text messages just to say I love you. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, um, for me, it was just absolutely vital. And I say to my children that it, it is said that there are four sections of the heart. And all of them, they're in a section of my heart. And if any part of my heart doesn't work, the rest of it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, love, love. Wow. I just, I am just so grateful for the gift of my children. Wow, that's beautiful. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired Podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening. Two, three, four, five, six stars. Whatever you feel reflect podcast, this will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye, guys.